All right, well, let's open with a word of prayer and we'll catch you guys up and dig into James chapter two. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you. We love you, Lord. I thank you for everyone who's here, none by chance, all by divine appointment. I pray anybody who's new here today would feel welcomed and loved. And I thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit is our teacher. So I pray less of man, more of your spirit, that you would be glorified. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us this morning. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray and all God's people said. So James, just quick review, grab your outline. If you don't have one, we'll get you one. If you need an outline, raise your hand because it'll help you. Um, James was a book written by the half-brother of Jesus. He was called James the Just. He did not get saved until after his brother, Jesus, had risen from the dead. Matter of fact, he was an unbeliever up until that point. So James grew up with Jesus, yet never surrendered his life to him. But now we notice as he refers to the Lord, he doesn't say my brother, because even though he is, he refers himself as a bondservant, a slave by choice, someone who surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. He could have, a bondservant is a term for somebody who has paid off their debt, they were able to go free, but they choose to remain and surrender their life to their master forever. And that's what we're called to be, those who would surrender our life to our master forever, amen? amen. Then he talked about trials. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials. We know that trials are things allowed by God to grow us in our faith. So trials are something, it doesn't say if, it says when you fall. So we all go through trials. Who's going through a trial right now? Raise your hand. Okay, most of the hands are up. If you're not in one, it's coming, amen? So trials, and the word there, it talks about having patience in the midst of it. The word there is hupomone in the original language. And what's that, what that means is to stand firm under. So as we're going through trials, God puts us there not just uh, you know, for the heck of it. He puts us there that we might grow through it. And as we stand in the midst of trials, our faith grows. That trial would produce patience and the perfecting of our faith. So right after he talks about trials, he starts talking about temptation. Now keep in mind, this letter is written to the first century church. They've been scattered through persecution. This is around the time when Christians were being fed to lions. Christians were being persecuted for their faith. So they have spread in all different directions. They're being persecuted. They're going through trials. And then there's also the temptation that would come. See, the enemy will tempt us and make us want to doubt God when we go through trials. Why would God allow this to happen? Why would God put you through this? If he loved you, he would have delivered you from it. Well, temptation doesn't come from the Lord. While trials are allowed and come through the hand of God, temptation comes from the enemy. The enemy is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. And when he tempts you, he's tempting you to draw you away from the Lord. Now, it's interesting that the word patience is used there again. When it's happening, that hoopamone, standing under the trials, prepares you so that you can resist the temptation. See, no suffering is wasted. And whatever trials we may go through, God will use it to mold us more into his image. And remember with temptation, as I've said several times, it's not just an opportunity to fall, it's an opportunity to grow. When you're tempted, when you're trying to be drawn away, the Bible says if we resist the devil, what does he do? He flees from us. And so every time we're tempted, it's not just an opportunity to fall, but it's an opportunity to grow. And then at the end of chapter one last week, I defiled the message, true religion, God's definition, not man. We've learned, I've, I've really grown to dislike the term religion for what it's come to mean, which is kind of a bunch of man-made rules and rituals that we try to do to hopefully get God to love us back. But the word religion is relingara in Latin, which means to relink. And it's relinking sinful man back to holy God. See, we were all separated from God because we're all sinners. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we are relinked to the Father through the shed blood of the Son on the cross of Calvary. So I love what, that, what the word religion really means. And what is true religion? What's a, some of the things that happen when we truly give our life to the Lord? Last week we talked about laying aside the things of this world and hanging on to the word of God. Guys, the things of this world will entrap us, entangle us, ensnare us, draw us away from the truth. We need to hold on to the word. We talked about being doers of the word, not hearers only. You know, it's one thing to say that we love the Lord, and it's another thing to live like it. 
Now, it doesn't mean we earn salvation. It doesn't mean that we're saved by good works. It doesn't mean that flawed people don't go to heaven because if that were true, none of us would be going. But the reality is that as we give our life to the Lord, we love God more and we hate our sin more. Amen? And it should be reflected in our walk. We talked about having control over our tongue. We're going to get to chapter three here pretty quick. And it talks about the tongue being a little rudder that can steer the whole ship. And of overflowing of a man's heart, his mouth speaks. We need to be careful with what's coming out of our mouth. Words don't slip out. They pour out from your heart. If you want to know somebody's heart, just sit and listen to them talk for a while. We need to help those who are truly in need. We'll talk about that some more. Loving, serving, and caring for those in need in very practical ways. And then keeping ourselves unstained from the world's corruption. Again, ministering to the world, but having no fellowship with it. So this morning, if you have your outline, grab it. It's only two points, but I got a lot of sub points there. You hope, hope you follow along. Showing grace to others in the midst of our trials. Here's what happens when we're in trials. We tend to focus on ourselves. When we're going through a tough time, we we're quick to tell everybody how much we're suffering and how much help we need. And there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. We're the body of Christ. If you're hurting, we want to know it so we can pray for you. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. Okay, we want that. But that should not be where our only focus is. We need to not just always be a ministry, but also be ministers. Have an opportunity to, to minister the lives of others. So the two things, at two points, see others the way the Lord sees you. Man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. You know, when we look at others, we should judge them the way we want to be judged by God. Amen? We should show them grace. We should look at them from the heart of our Savior. You know, we, 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 should, we should love people the way the Lord loves us. In the midst of great difficulty and trials, do not hold the faith again of our Lord Jesus Christ with partiality. The word partiality there means to face and receive, to show favoritism because of outward appearance. I got to tell you, I'm sick of what's going on in the world today that we show favoritism based on how people look, where they live, what kind of car they drive, what color their skin is, what their cultural is, what their nationality is. Guys, here's the reality. We're all sinners in need of a savior and we're, we can all be children of God, amen? And he desires that none should perish, no, not one. And when we look at people, we gotta see them for who they are in Christ. Just remember that person you're disgusted with at work that Jesus died for him. Remember that difficult neighbor that Jesus loved him so much he'd rather go to the cross than, die, than live without them. We need to see every person as precious and valuable to remember that the Lord loves them so much. Judging people based on outward appearance alone isn't just flawed, it's evil. Let me say that again. It's evil in the sight of God. It's evil. Don't be divided by non-essentials. Let's stop it. Can I get an Amen. Stop it. Your, your position on masks, vaccines, what political party you're in. You know what? Whatever. None of that's going to matter in heaven. Can I get an amen? Yes. What matters is that we honor the Lord, that we love people unconditionally, that we represent Christ well, and we cannot do that without the empowering work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Amen? So we first need to see others the way the Lord sees us. Then second, show the mercy to others that the Lord has shown you. It says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. This is my commandment that you love one another. As we recognize the depths of God's grace and mercy that the Lord has poured out on us, it should impact the love and grace and mercy that we show others. Praise God that mercy does indeed triumph over judgment. Amen? So thankful. So let's begin there in chapter two. We're going to look first at seeing others the way the Lord sees you. And again, in times of great persecution and trials, there can be a tendency to pull back, to feel sorry for ourselves, to dial it down, to melt away, to just blend in. And God didn't save you to just blend in. God didn't save us to be like the world. We're called to be in the world, but not of it, right? As believers, you know, the, the boat's in the water, but don't let the water get in the boat. You know, we're here to minister to a world that so desperately needs Jesus. You're the, when you show up at work tomorrow, the Holy Spirit just entered the building. When you're walking through your neighborhood, the Holy Spirit walks with you. And when you're going through great trials, people are watching you. And because our God is great, we can triumph over these things. We can walk in victory because he who the sun sets free is free indeed. We've been set free from it. Not just in what we believe, 
but we should see it in how we behave. Love God, love your neighbors, be doers of the word and not just hearers only. Verse one, my brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory with partiality. My brethren, James continues his words of exhortation to these first century Christians. Guys, when we have Jesus in common, we have everything in common. The blood is thicker than water, it's been said, but the Holy Spirit is thicker than blood. You know, when we know the Lord, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We truly are family. We have the same heavenly Father. And you know what? We should treat each other like family and love each other that way. James continues to exhort this church. They're in the midst of great trials and temptation and persecution. And even if they have been scattered and had to flee in fear, he exhorts them to practice what they preached. Again, to be hearers, not just hearers, but doers of the word. That a true relationship with God is demonstrated by, as we've said, keeping a bridle on your tongue. By touching, you know, we touched on that briefly, by showing love towards those in need. We saw last week that pure and undefiled religion is uh, before God and the Father is to visit orphans and widows in their trouble. We can get so caught up politically that we look down on people who are struggling. And, you know, sometimes it is because they're lazy. Sometimes it is because they're, you know, they don't have a great work ethic. And the reality is that Jesus still loves them. And so should we. And we don't want to prop up simple behavior, but I'm going to err on the side of grace every single time. I'd rather stand before God having been too gracious than being too legalistic. Amen? I'd rather err on this side of loving somebody too much if that's even possible. They shall know us by the love we have one for another. Ministering to those who are truly hurting and are in need. Remember this exhortation is, to, is while they were being persecuted. They were running for their lives. Many of them had lost their homes. Many of them had lost, were apart from their families. They were going into new places in a new culture, trying to share the love of God, facing persecution. And in the midst of that, he still continued to tell them, you show mercy, you show love to others. Show it to those who are hurting. Again, the natural reaction in the midst of trials is to become even more self-centered than we usually are. To start playing, ain't it awful? Oh, woe is me to throw a pity party for ourselves and make sure everyone knows just how bad we have it. You know, James' exhortation to those being persecuted, going through a time of great difficulty, was to look for those in need and minister to them. I was going to try not to mention it all today, but it's going to probably happen. Um, The best way to endure heartache and trials is to minister to others. Amen. We know that our son closed his eyes on earth and opened him up in glory. We know we're going to see him again. And if he was here, he'd say, Dad, just keep loving people. Mom, just keep loving people. It's so easy to sink into despair if you focus on what you're going through and you forget the promises of God. And we serve a gracious God, amen? amen. Those of you who might be new today, our 28-year-old son went to be with the Lord three weeks ago and, and it's been very difficult for us as a family. And I'm, I have joy when I focus on where he is and I struggle when I focus on where he isn't, which is in our house. But in the midst of all of it, we know that no thank you. We know that no suffering is wasted, amen? And we know that God will use even this for his glory. And we trust him in that. And our relationship with our son didn't end. It's just been interrupted for a time. And we're going to see him again. But whatever trial you're going through, and I'm not saying the trial I'm going through is heavier than... I know there's a lot of people here that have gone through that same trial, and it's a club that those of us who are in it want none of you to join. But that being said, we also know that God is faithful and that we trust his promises. And we can't imagine going through this without him. Amen? Amen. And I'm so thankful for it. So again, one of the ways that we 
can go through great difficulty is not to focus on ourselves, but how can we minister to others? And God will bring divine appointments. I've had multiple phone calls from people who have no idea that happened with my son that are going through the exact same thing, and they're divine appointments, and it's an opportunity for us to take our, you know, the fellowship of his suffering, the Bible talks about, and minister one to another. And he says, look, don't, don't hold on. He's talking about partiality here, that when we look at people, we need to see them, how much the Lord loves them and how precious they are in his sight. And again, I found that those who come seeking only to be ministered to by others are the ones who feel the most disappointed. And those who are sensitive to the Lord's leading and are looking to minister to others, regardless of the trial or circumstances they may be going through, have the greatest joy and the peace that surpasses all understanding. You know, if you have health issues, God may use you to minister to someone else with health issues. If you've got wayward children, God may use you to minister to people with wayward children. If you've gone through difficulty in marriage, God may use you to minister to someone else in their marriage. See, again, no suffering is wasted. We don't want to begin every day just thinking about the, the tragedies of life, but just recognize that God is still faithful and God knows what he's doing and we can trust him. As born-again, spirit-filled believers, the power of the Holy Spirit lives in, in, in us and should impact our speech, our actions toward each other, and finally, our relationship with the lost world. We're not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. In the midst of trials and persecution, there's a temptation just to go out with your friends from work and tie one on. I'm mad. Getting mad at God is foolish, but sometimes for a moment it's understandable. When you don't understand, you might say, God, why this, why that, why do you allow this? We have to learn to trust that God is sovereign and he knows what he's doing, amen? And so we trust him. You know, Job lost all of his kids, all of his possessions, was covered head to toe in boils, and Satan let him keep his wife for a reason. <laughs> Truth? She said, why don't you just curse God and die? And what did he say? Shall I praise him in times of blessing and not in times of adversity? Lord, we praise you no matter what. Always. Always. It's a testing of our faith that produces patience. And see, we, we are to hold on to the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glory of the Lord, but not do that with partiality. We hold on to it. And we, we should not be afraid to share it with everybody. We not should, shouldn't look down on anybody that's unworthy of it. And I pray that when you walk, I hope if you're new here today, you felt loved on from the second you hit this property. And if you didn't, we failed you and we apologize. Amen. They shall know us by the love we have one for another, and we should be the most loving people on the planet. It's the testing of our faith that produces patience and gives us an opportunity to rest, represent him to a lost and a dying world. It's the midst of the trials. How do you respond? Does it serve as a testimony to a lost world, or does it bring harm to our Savior's name? We are to be doers of the word and not just hearers only, a faith that works, a bridled tongue, a heart to minister to those in need, a boldness and a burden to minister to the world while having no fellowship with it. Our faith in the Lord is the faith that comes from the Lord. Faith is only as valuable as the one you place your faith in. He said, do not hold the faith of our Lord. So it's the faith of our Lord. It's our faith in the Lord. And your faith can only be as strong as the one you place your faith in. If you place your faith in your bank account... At some point, you're going to be disappointed. If you're putting your faith in your own strength or your own abilities, if you're putting your faith in our government, God bless you, but if you put your faith, <laughs> if you put your faith in anything other than the Lord, you will be disappointed. We put our faith in the Lord. We trust him no matter what. Faith is a substance or the conviction of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. See, I can't see my son in heaven, but I know he's there. There's not a doubt in my mind that he's doing better than all of us, and there's no more depression, and I'm thankful for that. And we too, those of us who have more and more people on that side of glory, makes heaven and heaven all that much more precious. But that being said, we got a vapor of time to serve the Lord, and let's be about it for the kingdom of God. When this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. The Holy Spirit confirming the conviction of truth as to the person and the power of Jesus Christ. 
And he is the Lord of glory, the very embodiment of power and perfection. It's a reverence to his deity who himself shows no partiality. It says in Acts 10, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. I'm sick and tired. Makes, I'm just going to be super tra well, transparent. That shocks you all, I'm sure. <laughs> but I am so tired of people using the name of the Lord uh, to have something to do with race. That is nauseating. Amen? People burning crosses. People doing things that are so ungodly and so contrary to his word. And we as believers need to stand up against that stuff. Amen? It says in Deuteronomy, for the Lord your God is, is the God of God and the Lord of lords and the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Therefore, love the stranger, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him, and to him you shall hold fast. We should be hanging on tight to Jesus. Amen. Don't put your faith in a political party. We should vote. Don't put your faith in you know, your job. Don't put your faith in anything else. Anything else you put your faith in will fail you. The word partiality there, again, means face plus receive. It means to show favoritism based on outward appearance. And you see it throughout Scripture. It's written in a time of great prejudice based on class and ethnicity and religious background. In 1 Samuel 16, it said, man looks on the outward appearance but God looks on the heart. God could care less what kind of car you drive. Amen? He doesn't care how, you know, outwardly pretty you are or, you know, again, and, you know, as Pastor Chuck said, if the paint, if the barn needs painting, paint it, you know? But that being said, makeup, okay, got it. But it's just trickling back. They're finally catching on. Point I'm making, though, is this. God doesn't see us the way that man sees us. We'll be ju you'll judge someone quickly on how they dress, car they drive, job they have, where they live. God cares about none of that. Amen? We get caught up in celebrity. There's one celebrity. His name's Jesus Christ. Amen? I, met, I ran into somebody at the airport, and he scratched his name on a piece of paper, and look, let me show all my friends. Really? Amen? <laughs> we get so caught up in things that don't matter to God. Amen? We need to pray for them. Pray for their salvation. It says in Colossians, Since you have put off the old man with his deeds and put on the new man who is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave nor free, but all... But Christ is all and in all. While we can so easily become enamored with wealth and power and celebrity, it means nothing to God. We must look at the world through the Lord's eyes and desire that none should perish. No, not one. When was the last time you shared your faith with somebody? When was the last time you prayed for people by name? Pray for your neighbors. Go for a walk to your neighborhood. I haven't done this in years. When I lived in Lancaster, I used to go through my neighborhood and stop momentarily at each mailbox and pray for the people in that house. Pray for an opportunity. Pray for divine appointments. Pray for your coworkers. Pray for unsaved family. And pray that God will not only give you the opportunity, but give you the boldness to speak up when he does. The only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people. And that should be the thing that's foremost on our mind is loving God and loving people. Don't do it with partiality. For there, verse 2, if there should come into the assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place. You say to the poor man, you stand there or you sit at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? See, even in those days, one of the things that they would do to show their wealth is they would wear golden rings and they would put them on their fingers and on their wrists and often they would even to appear more wealthy than they were if they were going to a big event they would go rent some of these rings and put them on so they could appear more wealthy than they really were kind of like the guy that rents a ferrari to drive to his high school reunion you know what i mean you know it's this mentality that we want to look more important to other people to put on a show 
And he's saying, look, if they come into the synagogue, this is the early church, and when they would come into the assembly, if you see somebody who's dressed in fine apparel, do you treat them better than, you, than somebody else who maybe doesn't look like they're quite as affluent? And sadly, that can happen in the church. Sadly, it does happen all the time. We can see somebody that, that needs a bath, that's, that's life, you know, they're going through a tough time, and we can see somebody else, and we'll treat them completely differently, but we need to understand that Jesus died for both of them. And we need to treat them both with humility and kindness and love and grace. Again, that early Christian church would fall into the trap, and, and we can too. And again, it was a sign of great wealth in Roman society. The wealthy wore rings on their left hand, and as a sign of wealth, were worn with real sense of pride and pretense. Today, like a, again, we can do the same. Spending money we don't have on things we don't need to impress people we don't know. Amen? And we have this mentality where we want to give an appearance before men. And you know, the only one who counts, the only one who matters is how we stand before God. And you can fool men, but you won't fool the Lord. And you can have this pretense. Again, fine apparel was bright and shiny garments, glistening with gold and silver, very rich and costly and luxurious. And man comes into the place of public worship and he looks so outstanding, so they put him in a good position. You know, today they do the same. Well, man, that guy looks pretty good. We should put him in a good spot. Maybe he'll tithe here. Some churches might make him an elder before he leaves so he doesn't leave with his paycheck. <laughs> Poor man comes in, filthy, foul, sordid, shabby. Quite a contrast when you look only at the outward appearance. The church I pastored in Santa Cruz, we had a lot of homeless people that came to our fellowship, especially early on because we met downtown right at the Pacific Garden Mall. And I remember we would always have uh, food set out, kind of like our agape feast. All the times the homeless people come in during the service and start eating. And then people would come and ask me, what should we do? And I'd say, get them a plate. <laughs> Amen. And there's one of those homeless people that continues to, to write me 20 plus years later who got saved in our church there and just talks about how God used the simplicity of just loving her unconditionally. She came in dressed in all goth and all black looking, you know what I mean? Man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart, amen? You love people unconditionally. So if you pay attention with the one wearing the clothes and say, here, you sit here in a good place. Where there's to have respect, to look upon, to hold in high regard. High regard, why? Because of the clothes they wear. Moved by outward appearance rather than inward character. You sit in the good place. You sit in the seat of honor. In a place of honor near the pulpit or an elevated place where they would be seen by everyone in the room. And to the poor, they'd say, stand here. Or sit, up, sit in the back. Sit in the back of the place or sit on the floor somewhere. Either no place to sit at all or place them in a place where their dirty feet wouldn't trod on their, on their nice uh, you know, synagogue. Two men came to the church service. The rich man was seen as important, got to sit down in the front row, and the poor man was not really in their target market. You know, a lot of churches that plant, they, they do a survey and they do targeting. And because I'm a pastor and have been for 33 years, I get these emails on how to grow your church and how to do this. And, they, and it's amazing to me, they're always targeting the upwardly mobile. They're always targeting the yuppie church, right? Because those people will give money and then we can have a big building and then we can have a bunch of big things going on and then we can, you know, we can feel like we're a success. Boy, in their, in, from their perspective, Jesus wasn't very successful. Because again, man looks on the outward appearance and God looks on the heart. And everybody that walks in this door should feel welcomed and loved. And if they don't, that's our fault. Amen? We need to make sure that doesn't happen. This describes not only the, the world, but much of the church, so enamored with wealth and celebrity. You know, the, I remember the Oscars are like, people would stand in line for three days to sit in some stands 150 feet away from where some people would walk by and maybe glance in their direction. And yet they can't get to church on time. <laughs> Amen. Three days to see some, some person who goes into a movie and stands in a spot where they tell him to stand and say what they tell him to say. Oh, I'm enamored with you. 
Amen? And at the same time, we don't make Jesus the priority that he should be. Very few of these famous wealthy people even bother to mention God, and most often when they do, they curse his name, and then we swoon over them. That's tragic. I hate to even say this, but I'm going to say it because it was so offensive, and I hope you're offended as I was. Somebody was given an award, and I don't watch those shows typically, but someone was given an award. Someone sent me the clip, and the person says, a lot of times people get up and thank Jesus when they win an award. Jesus had nothing to do with this. This is all me. This is all me. And to heck with Jesus. I'm like, wow. That's one award show I wouldn't want to be attending. The lightning might hit me too. Amen? But you know what? As I was disgusted, I was driven to pray for her. Because she needs Jesus. Amen? Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. Sadly, this takes place not only again in the world, but in our churches. Some have building drives, can pay a certain amount and get your name engraved on a seat. And we've got a thermometer on the wall. We'll, whatever amount you give, we'll make sure you get glorified. Again, thinking our money gets us closer to God. And guess what? Guess what? Let me clue you in how important money is in heaven. Gold is asphalt. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Gold is asphalt in heaven. That old joke, the guy was able to bring something with him to heaven, and he showed up with, with two big suitcases filled with gold, and he's talking to whoever, the angels or whatever, and they're like, why'd you bring that? He goes, oh, I, you know, I wanted to bring my wealth. He goes, dude, that's asphalt here, bro. <laughs> we also have celebrities and churches. Be careful. Well-known pastors and speakers or Christian musicians that charge huge fees and want to be treated like royalty. And much of the church obliges. When Rob and I were youth pastors in San Jose, we started a thing which got his name Godspeak, and we would do outreaches to kids. And when early on, we'd have a lot of kids show up. Hundreds of kids would show up, fill up the sanctuary. And a lot of the bands would come. We didn't have a lot, but we would pay for their hotel and make sure they were fed. And, and after we'd done it several years, we started getting 60-page contracts that they had to be flown first class and stay in a five-star hotel, and this is their menu, and we had to make sure that their, 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 you know, where they sold their stuff was in a certain spot, and, and I remember getting that for a group I won't mention, and it went right in the shredder, amen? amen. But see, people come in, and we, have the, we make the mistake of paying attention to those who are look more successful on the outside. But the Bible tells us that it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Riches are not evil of themselves, of course not. And by the way, compared to the world, we're all rich. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Amen? So how, what are we doing with the wealth that we have? Let's use it for his kingdom and his glory. And by, by the way, if you've never been here before, we don't even pass an offering here. We're not worried about that. Where God guides, God provides. Amen. All the while, the poor and dirty, again, elevating the one clothed and, and mistreating or, or just tolerating the other. I'm going to use his name because I know he won't mind and he's given me permission to do so. At Calvary San Jose, there was a young man who came to our church. He was probably around 30 years old. His name was Mike Rackham. He started to attend the Bible study, the men's Bible study that I taught there. He ended up getting saved real good, as my dad would say, and was walking with the Lord. And then he told me the story. I said, I said, so tell me about, you know, what brought you to church? And he said, Pastor Dave, when I was younger, I was involved in a motorcycle gang. My life was a mess. I was struggling with drugs. And I woke up literally in the gutter one morning and thought, man, my life's a mess. I need to get to church. And he showed up at some little neighborhood church and he slipped in the back during worship and he was sitting in the back and he was wearing leathers and he didn't smell good. And he said, I probably smelled reeked of alcohol. And he was just sitting in the back listening to the worship. And then one of the ushers came in and said, you got to leave. You can't be here dressed like that. And he got up and he left. And he said for about eight years, he said every time he thought about going to church, he knew that he would not be accepted. He came to Calvary San Jose and he said four or five times he came and sat in the parking lot. And he would weep because he said, I'd see all these people going in, but I just knew if I tried to go in, they were going to stop me at the door and tell me I wasn't welcome. Finally, he said he one time even got to the door and sat on the bench and tried to listen from outside because he just knew he wouldn't be welcome on the inside. Finally, he got to the door and there was a man at the door by the name of Don Shopman who was one of our greeters. And he said to him, hey, are you new here? God bless you. We're so glad you're here. You don't know anybody. You come sit with me. And they came and sat with his family. He took him out to lunch. He got saved the following week. Guys, when people walk in the door, we need to greet them. We need to love them as if Jesus just showed up. Can I get an amen to that? 
Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. And we need to treat people with love and grace and mercy. Samuel was a mighty man of God. No one record, not one recorded sin. We know he's a sinner. We all are. But when, he, when uh, he was sent to Jesse's house to um, anoint the new king of Israel, he saw Eliab, the oldest son, and he was tall and strong, and he thought, this must be the one. And he went through every one of the sons, thinking These, it must be this one. And Jesse, David's own father, left him out in the field tending sheep because he didn't even think he was worthy of being looked at. Man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. David was a man after God's own heart, amen? I know I'm, I'm belaboring this, but it needs to be. When Jesus met the woman at the well, you know, all his disciples went into town. By the way, he went and met with a Samaritan. Samaritans were considered uh, half-breeds by the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews didn't like them because they were half-Gentile. The Gentiles didn't like them because they were half-Jew. The religious leaders would walk around Samaria and avoid the land entirely. Jesus, when he was walking with the disciples, they do a good job with this on The Chosen, by the way. And if you're not watching that, you should be. Amen? It's fantastic. But why are you walking this way? We need to walk around. And he had a divine appointment. Now, the woman at the well was hated by the Samaritans who were hated by everybody else. So she was the hated of the hated because she had been with five men and now she was shacking up with some guy and she goes out in the noonday sun to fetch the water because it, in the Middle East it's hot and they go out to get the water early in the morning and late in the evening and she didn't want to be ridiculed by the other women because of her lifestyle. And there she has a divine appointment with Jesus. Man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. And the Lord loved her. Gave her living water. If you come, you know, you're getting water. And guess what she did? She went back into, the guys came out with like leftovers for Jesus. They went into town, the disciples, and came back with, it doesn't tell us, you know, leftover panda. I don't know. They brought back some leftovers. <laughs> Here you go. And what did, what did the woman do? She went into town, told everybody about Jesus, and brought the whole town back out to meet the Lord. Guys, Man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. I just love our Savior's love for everyone. Woman who is a woman of shame, even among the half-breeds that they were referred to. He's our example to minister to all people. Prostitutes, beggars, tax collectors, the blind, the lame, the lepers, all seen as defiled by people and all seen as worth enough for Jesus to go to the cross if it was just for them. You've heard me say it before, the church is not a religious country club for the wealthy, but a place of worship and redemption for lost sinners. Amen? It's not a country club for the wealthy. When people call me and ask me about our church, sometimes they, they've got a list, and I already know we're in trouble. <laughs> what, what, what do you got going for me? What do you have for me? You know, I've got some special needs. What do you have for me? I said, well, we're going to teach the Bible. We're going to love people. We're going to worship Jesus. Yeah, but I need this or I need that. How do you seat your chairs? What kind of chairs do you have? How long does the service last? Well, that's an inconvenient time for me. Is there another time I can come? Guys, we're not here to cater to you. We're here to worship Jesus. Amen. Amen. We love you. We want you here. But we're not here to cater to men. We're here to honor the Lord place of worship for lost sinners, be they rich or poor, young or old, Jew or Greek, slave or free, red, brown, yellow, black or white, educated, uneducated, Republican or Democrat, <laughs> mask or no mask, <laughs> vax or no vax, amen, amen. Okay. In the early days of Calvary Chapel, I'll get back to the text, but in the early days of Calvary Chapel, if you know the Calvary Chapel movement, it began in a small building, grew into a tent. And it was during the Jesus days and all the hippies were getting saved. And a lot of the first Calvary Chapel pastors were hippies who got saved. Thousands got saved. Again, it was called the Jesus Movement. Eventually, they moved into a building. The elders complained that the hippies were getting the carpet dirty with their bare feet. So they went to Pastor Chuck and said, what are we going to do? They're getting the carpet dirty. He said, rip out the carpet. Rip out the carpet. We don't have that problem here. You get your, the cement as dirty as you want, amen? 
See, guys, it's not about catering to the rich so they can build, give us a big building fund, but ministering to the people with the truth of the gospel. Amen? Nothing more important than seeing people saved. Then again, he says there in verse 4, Have you shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? James directly addresses those persecuted, scattered saints and brings their behavior to light, that they had shown partiality to the rich. They had falsely judged men based solely on their outward appearance. And this way of judging people isn't just flawed, it's evil. We're not to esteem some greater than others. Jesus died for us all. While we must never judge based on outward appearance, but we can inspect the fruit. See, at some point, as believers, they shall know us by our fruit. Amen? By your fruit, they shall know you. Verse 5. Listen, my beloved brethren. Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? I will say this, that I have found, and again, you can be rich and godly and rich and ungodly. You can be poor and godly and poor and ungodly. You can be rich and have a lot of faith. You can be rich and have little faith. You can be poor and have a lot of faith and poor and have little faith. But I have found the people that have the most astonishing faith to me are the people that have nothing but Jesus. When I would go to India and they're living in a lean-to, and they got a half a sack of rice and four people sleeping on the dirt and they worship Jesus at the top of their lungs and they're not dissuaded by the things of the world and they share their faith with boldness. And then we, who have a lot more, can be bummed out when the AC goes out on our new car. You know, we lose sight of what really, what you know, what's difficulty really is. They, by large, have a greater heart for God and a deeper faith. And you know why they have deeper faith? Because they have to have faith every day to eat. They have to have faith every day. They're less distracted. They're, they're in a place of humbleness and desperation. And sometimes when we have so much, we cease to be desperate for God. Lord, keep us humble, broken, and desperate because that keeps us usable for your kingdom. And when we cease to, we start having so much of, of everything that we cease to be on a place where we're on our knees every day crying out to the Lord. Midst of trials, they could only turn to God. There was no bank account. There was no check they could write. The rich young ruler went away sad because he had many possessions, remember? Lord, I want to follow you. Go sell all you have and come and follow me. Oh, where your treasures there, your heart will be also. Amen? E again, easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Wealth can be a great obstacle, but it also can be a blessing. You know, I love what Pastor Rob says. If God can get it through you, he'll get it to you. What he means by that, if, you, if we're using it for the kingdom of God, if we recognize that all we have belongs to the Lord, then it's, you know, often God will bless. Pastor Rob, who I love, is one of the most generous people I've ever met in my life. And I love his signature at the bottom of his emails. We've been emailing and talking a lot since my son went to heaven. He knew my son since he was three years old. But uh, it says, if I have it and you need it, I'll give it to you. If I have it and you need it, I'll give it to you. It's on the bottom of his email. Man, I love that. Verse directly contradicts the word of faith movement. The Bible right here is talking about chosen the poor in this life to be rich in faith. What the faith movement says, if you have faith, you'll be rich. Amen? Well, you just got to have faith. got to have faith. got to have faith. Cadillac, Cadillac, Cadillac be in your driveway. Stop it. <laughs> Amen? Such nonsense. I want more asphalt. <laughs> Amen? I want a bigger pile of dirt in my driveway. So foolish. So foolish. So sad. So tragic. Better to be poor in worldly resources and rich in faith than rich in worldly resources and poor in faith. Amen? They're heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him. Guys, there's no greater inheritance. Lazarus and the rich man. The rich man was in torment and Lazarus was in the presence of God, but Lazarus was a beggar on the earth and the rich man thought he had it all going on. He probably had a massive funeral. All these paid mourners, everybody showed up and Lazarus, they may have not even noticed that he died. But when they died, Lazarus went into the presence of God. Guys, the greatest 401k ever is enter in, thou good and faithful servant. There's no better 401k, there's no better retirement than serving the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There's no greater inheritance. Verse 6 and 7. But you have dishonored the poor men. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into courts 
Do they not blaspheme the noble name by which you were called? See, the flesh is never satisfied, and the poor walking in faith put in the back, but the wealth often produces power, and now using their power to produce more wealth. You've heard me say it a hundred times. I think it was Rockefeller. I can't remember who it was, and they asked him, how much money did you need to be satisfied? And he said, a little bit more. It wasn't 1 million, 10 million, 50 million, 100 million. There was always a desire for more because our flesh will never be satisfied. You can't feed it enough that it'll ever be satisfied. It's not enough money. There's not enough drugs. There's not enough relationships. There's not enough possessions. There's not enough fame. There's not enough for None of it. The only thing that will satisfy is having a relationship with the one who created you. Do they not blaspheme or speak evil of? And again, when I saw that verse, I thought of that woman at that award show, blaspheming the name of our Savior, mocking his name. They blaspheme the Lord. By the way, just Pastor Dave's opinion, how can we use God's money to pay to be entertained by the very sins that Christ died for? Amen? How can we take God's money, give it to them, and listen to them curse his name? Well, you know, the, the gourmet meal was really good. There was just a little bit of arsenic in the turkey and a little bit of other poison in the salad. But other than that, it was pretty good. And I have people tell me that. Well, the movie's not that bad. They take God's name in vain like four times. And, you know, and they do this. And then there's one you know, scene that's kind of... But other than that, it's a disaster, amen? These very same men you speak to show to show partiality to the very same men who blaspheme the name of our Lord and Savior who called you unto himself. So too today many Christians look up to admire, even idolize those who blaspheme the name of their Savior. It's heartbreaking. Point number one, it's going to go fist to the last one, but see others the way the Lord sees you. And finally, show the same mercy to others the Lord has shown you. Look at verse seven, uh, verse eight, excuse me. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture... You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. So if you say you love God and you don't love people, you're a liar. Amen? Love God and love people. Again, the only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people. The word love there, one guess, what do you think? Greek, what is it? Agape. Agape is a selfless love that loves someone outside of itself more than itself. See, we get, there's, three, there's four words for love in the, in the Bible, in Greek, storge, phileo, eros. Eros is a selfish love. It's where we get the word lust. It's what can you do for me? I will love you as long as you do for me. You stop doing for me, I'll get rid of you. It's a self-centered love. Phileo and storge are more brotherly love. And then you have agape, which is a selfless love. It's where you love someone outside of yourself more than you love yourself. For God so agape the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting love. See, it's a love. You know why, do you know why Christian, do you know that Christians love deeper? You know why? Because the fruit of the Holy Spirit is agape. Amen? Not to say that the world can't love because it does, but it, it cannot love as deep as we do because that is a gift of the Holy Spirit. So we love deeper, and guess what else? That means we grieve deeper. Amen? My daughter gave me a definition. Grief is love persisting. It's a love that doesn't stop. So if you love the Lord and you love people, then you're fulfilling the requirements of the law. By the way, if you love people, you won't murder them. You won't steal from them. You won't lie to them. You won't commit adultery with them. See how all the Ten Commandments, if you love God, you won't take his name in vain. You won't have any gods before him. You won't make any graven images. Amen? So those two commandments will help you be faithful in all the Ten Commandments and all the other commandments found in the Word of God. So the problem wasn't being rich. We all, again, we all are to love all men, both rich and poor. Verse 9, but if you show partiality, you commit sin 
and are convicted by the law of the transgressors. If you disregard God's command to love God and love all men, if we choose to love those more who are rich and easier to love, it is sin. You know you show partiality uh, by when you look at your caller ID and decide if you're going to pick up the phone or not. Few people said, ouch. Can I get an amen? Oh, I love talking to them. Oh, no. Pick up the phone. Love them. Can I get an amen? Love them. If you treat the rich as if they're above the law, you've transgressed it yourself. By the way, we have any of that kind of a problem in our country today? Amen. For whatever, whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. One of the things that I think just is nauseating to the Lord and should be nauseating to us is a self-righteous Christian. Amen. You have nothing to be self-righteous about. Get over yourself. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. What got Satan and all the demons thrown out of heaven? What's the middle letter in, in pride and sin? It's I. And we focus on ourselves and we get puffed up about ourselves and we think more highly of ourselves than I ought to. And again, and, I'm, and by the way, okay, I'm going to get in more trouble. You ready? We don't need to esteem ourselves. We need to deny ourselves. Well, his problem is he doesn't have enough self-esteem. We've all got way too stinking much self-esteem. Just stop it already. Amen? You got up this morning and looked in the mirror and spent all this time getting ready so you would look good. Amen? And I'll use that example a hundred times. I've already done it once. So I took a picture of the room, put your picture on the wall, and you walked up here to look at it. Whose picture are you looking for first? Come on, who are you looking for? And it will be good or bad based on how you look. Amen? Truth. But our problem is we esteem ourselves too much. If any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up the cross and follow me. Amen? Amen. So you'll share your faith more because if, they, if, if people get mad at you, you're okay with it because you're more concerned about their eternity than your popularity. Amen? Amen? And you'll be a person who recognizes that God cares more about our character than our comfort. So if he wants to make you uncomfortable to use you for his glory, then you will praise him in the midst of it. Because it's not about you, it's about him. Now, from his perspective, it is about you. He died for you. Amen? Amen? But we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. One sin makes you a sinner, just like one murder makes you a murderer. That means we're all sinners we all fallen short of the glory of God, and God can't have one sin in heaven, or he's got earth part two, so that sin needs to be dealt with, amen? Because if you have one sin in heaven, we get this mess all over again, where people die, and there's thorns and thistles, and there's illness, and, and all that comes to the earth came because of sin in the Garden of Eden. I've heard people say this, so I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian, I just like to keep to my own, I really don't want to talk to other people, that's sin. Amen? Now, we minister to the world, but have no fellowship with it. It's a balance. I don't need to go to the strip club to minister to people that go to strip clubs. Amen? <laughs> I had a guy in my church tell me that. Well, I just go down to the... Stop it! <laughs> we don't want to compromise to reach the world, but we also don't want to be so self-righteous that we don't minister to the world. Does that make sense? We need to be in the middle of that. The whole law must be kept if we are to be justified. Well, none of us has kept it. That's why Jesus came. Again, while it is indeed freedom from sin, it's not freedom to sin. God's grace redeems us and forgives us. Last two verses. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. How can there be law and liberty? Well, law is restriction and liberty is freedom. How can they both be true? In Christ Jesus, I've been set free. I'm at liberty from the law of Moses. The law of Moses could not and did not save me. I was saved by faith in Jesus Christ, and Jesus is the end of the law of works to all who believe. My faith in Jesus brought me under the new law, the law of liberty. See, we have freedom in Christ. We know that we're going to heaven. 
Our names have been written in the Lamb's book of life. No one can ever snatch us out of his hand. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. We've been adopted into his family. We've been blessed, chosen, adopted, accepted, redeemed, forgiven, enlightened, and assured. And all those things are things that no one can ever take from us. And we can praise God for it. Amen? Amen. We're truly rich in Christ. Under the law of liberty, I do things not to be saved, but because I am saved. The new law results from God putting his desires upon my heart. I delight in doing the things I do for the Lord. I do good works, but I don't expect my works to save me. I look to Jesus alone to save me. But because I have received Jesus as my Lord, my belief is manifested in a changed life. If you love the Lord, you'll keep his commandments. If you're walking with God, your behavior will change. Your priorities will change. Your passions will change. Your speech will change. Your love for a lost and a dying world will change. Amen? And she'll know us by the love we have one for another. Matthew 5, 7 says this, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. He shows no mercy, only judgment, shall receive no mercy, only judgment. Showing mercy doesn't save us, but showing mercy is a reflection that we've been saved. Remember what he said, how many times are forgive? 70 times seven. I'll, leave, I'll, leave, I'll forgive him up to seven times. Lord was not impressed, bro. 70 times seven. And that doesn't mean after 490 you can hit him back. Amen. <laughs> Praise God that mercy does indeed triumph over judgment. We deserve judgment, but His grace, we, we receive His grace, and his, by His grace, we receive His mercy. And so, too, as we have been saved, we should show the same mercy to others. For with the judgment you judge, you will be judged. Let's stop being religious. Let's stop being self righteous. Let's stop, let's stop uh, making opinions about people based on their outward appearance. Let's be people of love grace, and mercy, and let's represent our Savior well, because he deserves it. Amen? Amen. And he's worthy to be worshiped. Lord, we thank you. We praise you for your word. We thank you for your love and your grace and your infinite mercy. And I do pray that you would help us to see others the way you see them. I pray that we would see everybody in this room and everywhere we go through your eyes, so we would love them the way you love them, that we would show them grace and mercy someone's hurting, Lord, someone needs a hug, use our arms. If someone needs a word of encouragement, use our lips. And Lord, if someone needs to be ministered to, use the finances you put in our bank account to bless them. Lord, help us to be servants in your army, to honor you and to bring glory and honor to your name, to get out of our comfort zone. And Lord, help us to show the same mercy to others you've shown us. Lord, we can't even, can't even begin to recognize how much you've forgiven us, how much you love us, the grace you've poured out on us. But Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we worship you, Lord. You're a merciful God, you're a gracious God. We will praise you always because you alone are worthy to be worshiped and to be praised. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. After all we've talked about today, how can we not talk about the grace of God and the mercy of God and that the Lord loves you so much he'd rather die than live without you and God's got you here by divine appointment and maybe you've you know, maybe you've been religious, maybe you've gone to church in the past, but you've never fully surrendered your life to the Lord. Not just said, I believe there is a God, but said, I'm ready to surrender my life to him. To truly repent. The word repent literally means I'm walking in one direction. It's a change of mind, a change of heart. I'm not going to be on the throne anymore. Lord, I want you there. I want you to rule and reign in my life. I'm ready to fully surrender my life to you. The Bible says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. We're not looking for you to join a church. We don't even have membership. We just want to give you an opportunity right now to openly confess that you want Jesus Christ, not just to be your Savior, but your Lord. And if you will raise your hand, I will pray with you a simple prayer. God knows your heart. If that's your desire this morning, just raise your hand right where you are. Anybody at all. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? Today, the day of salvation. God bless you. Anybody else? Lord loves you. He'd rather die than live without you. Don't leave here without him. He's a gracious God. Anybody else? Those that have raised your hands, just pray this with me. You can pray it out loud or pray it in your heart. God knows. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you this morning and I confess that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus Christ is God, that he died on the cross and he rose from the dead. I ask you, Lord, forgive me. 
Make me a new creation. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I surrender my life fully to you. I can't do this without you. Help me, Lord, to walk with you. Give me that peace that surpasses all understanding. Lord, I pray for everyone that raised their hand as they prayed that simple prayer. As they've meant it in your heart, your word tells us then when one person surrenders their life to you, I pray for each of these that have raised their hands that they would, you would help them to, to not just make you Savior, but Lord. That they would put you on the throne of their life. That they would they don't have a Bible, they would grab them before they leave here, that they would get plugged in and, and start studying your word and just grow into the person you've called them to be. May they know it's not works-based, that if they truly prayed it, they're forgiven, they're redeemed, they're going to heaven, their name's written in the Lamb's book of life, and no one will ever snatch them out of your hands, and we praise you for that. Your word tells us when one person gets saved that all the angels in heaven rejoice So we know there's a party up in heaven, and we want to join that right now. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said amen.